Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you are a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. Welcome. We are so excited that you're here to worship with us this morning. I just wanted to read Psalm 91 together this morning. It says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And it goes on to say that this I declare about the Lord, that he alone is my refuge my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are our armor and protection. And church, I just want to, to kind of dial us in this morning. When we have our eyes focused on Jesus, when we are praising him, that's when God can do his best and most powerful work because we, we don't have to fight. We don't have to fight. When we lay our burdens on him, when we put our trust in him, that is our armor and protection. So Jesus, we just lift all of our, our needs up to you right now. God, we truly want to meet with you this morning. And I know that every single person in this room has stuff. They have stuff that they've been going through this week, worries that they have been mulling over and over in their minds, challenges that they've been facing. But God, we know you know it all. And so we just surrender it to you now. God, we are on our knees. We are crying out to you and we praise the mighty name of Jesus in your name. Amen. Come on, church.
somebody here that's walked through those doors this morning and have said, I am not worthy. I am not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy to raise my hands. But guess what? You are worth it all. All you have to do is press in. And guess what? That's a sweet, sweet fragrance to him. All you have to do is surrender. That is a sweet, sweet fragrance to him. So let this be your prayer this morning.
we take all the battles we're fighting and all the things that we're facing, every giant, every obstacle, and we place it at your feet. We know that you're a God and we know that you sit on the throne and you said in your word repeatedly that you'll go to battle before us and you'll fight on our behalf. And so we lay down the burdens, we lay down the worries and the concerns that we've carried this week. We lay them at your feet this morning in our worship. And we ask that you would carry those and that you would defend and you would protect and you would go before us and everything that we face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, church family. If you would, turn, greet one another and make your way to your seats. If you're watching us online, we'd love to extend a very special welcome to you as well. We're thrilled that you're here. Go ahead and write in the chat where you're watching from or if you have a prayer request, you can also drop that in the chat. We're just glad that you're watching and connecting with us, um, whether it's online or in person. Well, there's always so much going on around Fellowship Church, especially in the fall. It's an exciting time to be here. But before uh, we get ready to take this morning's offering, I just want to remind you of the ways that you can partner with us in your giving. On the side screens, we have all the different options of how you can partner with us in your giving. And you can do that um, Scan that QR code, you can use offering drop boxes, you can mail it, whatever way you might want to go, um, we'd be happy to do that. But the Bible tells us that when we come to God's house, that we should bring the tithe. Now, the word tithe is kind of a foreign word to us, it's not one that we hear in our everyday language, and it literally means a tenth, it means one tenth. And the idea that God gives us in scripture is that the tithe is actually destined to be consumed. It's either going to be consumed in the kingdom work of God, and then when we give it to God, that's how it's consumed. It's burned up um, in the use of the kingdom. So that would be the church and the preaching of the gospel and the ministry to the sick and the poor in our midst. So we bring the tithe to the storehouse and it gets consumed with the work of God. Or some people choose to go against God's directive and they put the tithe in with the rest of their money. In their regular checkbook, they just leave it there as a part of their own resources. And the truth is, it still is consumed. And a lot of people find themselves with not enough. And the reason is the tithe was consuming into their checkbook. That meant they, they hoarded it from God and it burned up even what they had. And so a lot of times people think, man, I can't afford to tithe. Like I won't have enough. But the truth is actually the opposite. We can't, as God's people, afford not to tithe. Because when we do that, we're, we're stealing from God. And it will cause even what we have to be burned up and consumed. And so I just want to challenge you, if you've never thought of it that way, to recognize that the resources you have are entrusted to you by God and he instructs us what to do. If we bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, then we will have enough. We'll have an abundance, overflow, running over, shaken down, pressed together. We'll have what we need, but it's when we hoard it onto ourselves, then that's when we end up with that position of lack. But let's pray today and let's pray over the offerings and over the needs in this room. God, this is an expensive time of year and we come before you because we need to see you come through for us supernaturally. And you promise that when we bring the tithe, then we bring an offering over and above, that you will do that, that you'll bless us, that you'll protect our resources. And so help us to do that in faith today, knowing that you can and that you will come through for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Well, if you are a guest or a visitor with us, we'd love to invite you to stop by the information counter if you're in person or in person or online. All you have to do is get out your device and text the number 94000 and text the word fellowship. And if you do that, it'll lead you through a series of prompts that'll help you connect with one of our pastors. You'll get invited um, to ask any questions you might have, maybe go to a guest reception in the future. But we're just thrilled that you're here or that you're um, watching us online at home and we'd love to have that opportunity to connect with you. Lots of stuff happening. So I invite you to check out this video to see all the details. On Tuesday, November 15th, we are beginning our online Bible study of the book of James. This is a great opportunity to dive in deeper to the word of God and learn applicable truths for today's world that are very, very relevant. There's absolutely no cost to the event. And if you'd like to sign up, you can do so on the Church Center app under the events tab. We know that the holiday season can be complicated for everybody, especially those of us who have been impacted or touched by divorce in any way. So we are holding an event on Wednesday, December 7th that's called Surviving the Holidays. And this is a curriculum that helps us with some tips and some tricks to not only get through the holidays, but hopefully also to enjoy them as well. The event costs $15 and that includes dinner and you can sign up if you're interested on the Church Center app. Next Sunday is our guest reception. This is an event for anyone who would consider themselves to be a guest or a visitor. This is a perfect opportunity to get to know Fellowship Church, to ask some questions, tour the facility, meet some staff and some volunteers, as well as just figure out what your next steps can be. There's a complimentary breakfast and it takes place in between the nine and the 11 o'clock services. If you're interested in joining us next Sunday, you can go to the info center right outside these doors and get signed up. We hope to see you there. As always, if you need any more information about the events going on here at the church, you can visit fellowshipgj.com events. Our brand new series called Blind Spots is starting right now. We hope that you enjoy it. So many times throughout the years, I've talked to you a little bit about my relationship with my dad. My dad was an awesome guy. I mean, we just had this really cool connection. And they, he raised, uh, you know, he raised me in a way that we just always had this ability to be able to communicate with one another. And, of course, I lost him about, gosh, it was back in uh, 2010. And it's not a day that goes by where I, I don't think about him. And I, I miss things about it. I miss being able to go hunting with him. I miss being able to go fishing with him. I miss doing projects with him because he was so skilled with being able to do construction and that kind of thing. So, so I so miss that. But one of the things I miss just on a daily basis is being able to call him and say, hey, can, you want to go to lunch? Because he was always available. He would always say, yeah, yeah, where do you, you want to go? And it didn't matter what was going on. He would drop everything just to spend some time together. And I, I love that about him. And when we lost him, I've shared this story too, we lost him to Alzheimer's. And so I feel like I lost him early. I lost him before I was supposed to. He was uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's when he was in 60, when he was 60s, and he didn't die until he was in his 70s. But when you have a family member that goes through a dementia of some kind, you kind of lose them twice, it feels like. You lose them as they start to lose their memory, but then you lose them again when they actually pass. And so for me, it was a real struggle 
And I remember uh, processing that with my small group. Now, I've talked to you guys also about my small group. I have a group of guys here in the Valley. We're, uh, we're all senior pastors. We've been uh, together for 16 years now, uh, and there's six of us. And we just get together, and we hold each other accountable, and we talk about the things that we're going through in our life. And as I was processing this with him, they told me, they said, Tim, you know, you might, you might want to get some counseling. You might want to talk to somebody about this. And I was like, you know, you're right. I just feel like I, I've got a lot of hurts through all of this and a lot of questions. And so I remember going and seeing a counselor for a while and then also going through deliverance again. Because what I didn't want is I didn't want that unresolved hurt to become a blind spot. I think we've all seen people before that have gone through hurts and pains, trials, tribulations. They don't get help, and that hurt or pain ends up following them throughout their life. And for me, I was concerned that that was going to take place. Because an unresolved hurt can turn into a lot of different stuff, but it can definitely plague us. And we want to be able to close the door on those hurtful situations and be able to move on. And even though I still think about my dad, I still love my dad, I've been able to process that hurt. But I wasn't able to do that without some help. Well, if you know me for any period of time, you know I love to speak and talk about David and First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. I love talking about Saul, David, Solomon, about their families, all of the history that's wrapped up in those books. In fact, they wrote a couple of different curriculums that have taught here at Fellowship uh, on, on the kings and their lives. That's just always been so fascinating to me. And this morning, we're going to look at David, and we're going to look at how some unresolved hurts in his family affected the entire family. And not only affected the family, but ended up affecting the entire nation of Israel. And we're going to pick up this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And within this scripture, we're kind of in the timeline after uh, David has been anointed, after the story of David and Goliath, after the story of Bathsheba and Uriah and the mistakes he made there. And this actually happens, or what we're going to be reading about, happens not long after that. And we pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. The Bible says, Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. Aw, poor Amnon, right? She was a virgin, the scripture says, and Amnon thought he could never have her. So Amnon goes to his buddy, and his buddy is kind of like Eddie Haskell type. If you remember, leave it to Beaver. That'll age you if you do. But this Eddie Haskell type was uh, basically saying, oh, come on, Amnon, don't, don't give up so easy. We can come up with a plan. We can do something that will allow you to be with her. So they hatch this plan. We pick up in verse 6. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, Please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Then I can eat it from her own hands. I obviously have some issues with Amnon, right? So he's faking it. He's faking being sick. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. So she comes over and she prepares his favorite dish. And then in verse 10, the Bible says that he said to Tamar, now bring the food, or really, you know, bring the food to the bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and, de and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. Her response is very firm. No, 
No, my brother, she cried. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? Now, in this situation, even though Tamar would have been the victim in the situation, in that culture, if this ever happened to you, you were looked at as tainted. You were looked at as a person that was not going to ever be able to marry, most likely, again. And so she's begging her brother not to do this. And then she says, and you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please, just speak to the king about it, and he will let you marry me. Now, whether or not David would have let them marry or not, we don't know. Most likely not. But here's the truth. She was just fighting for her life in this situation. She was trying to say anything she could to get out of that room. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly, Amnon's love turned to hate. And he hated her even more than he loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. Now, in this moment, the devil changes Amnon's emotions from lust to hate. He probably didn't really love her. He was lustful for her. He wanted her. He desired her. But he probably truly didn't love her. But whatever he had, it changed. And Satan does this. And he does this because he wants to hatch this sinister plan against the house of David. We know in Scripture that the Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan does. And so he wants to steal and kill and destroy from David. And this is a lot of times how the devil works. He may attack you. He may mess with you. And it may not work. But then what he does is he goes after your family. And in this situation, that's exactly what the devil does. Now I might ask you, if the Scripture says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy... How many sinister plans has he hatched against you personally? How many things has the devil done in your life to try to take you out or take your family out? The verse says in verse 16, No, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, Throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. Now, of course, she's distraught. She tears her clothes. She puts ash on her head as a symbol of, of, of being in mourning. And so she's absolutely devastated. And then she goes to her other brother, Absalom. Verse 20, Absalom sees her and asks, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Is it true, sister, that Amnon slept with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother, don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Now you look at that and you go, man, he didn't deal with that well at all. Like he didn't, he didn't console her. He didn't comfort her. He didn't, he didn't deal with this. I mean, was he just, did he just not have a heart? Was Absalom just this stone type person that could show no compassion towards his sister? Well, I think and I believe that Absalom was thinking in his mind, wait until dad finds out. Dad will take care of this. You just stay with me. Don't fret. And dad will handle it. Because dad it was David and David handled stuff. David was a warrior. David was a right fighter. Are you a right fighter? A right fighter is somebody that just oh, cannot stand injustice. 
If you see injustice happening, you want to jump into that situation and fix it. And that's what David always was. David was always a right fighter. David was uh, this, this incredible warrior that took back land and territory from the Philistines and, and did everything he could for the Lord. And he, he chopped heads off of the giants and he destroyed armies. That is the kind of leader that he was. And so you think, and Absalom thought, when David hears about this, ooh, Amnon, you're in trouble. Scripture says, though, in verse 21, when King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. It doesn't say he was very angry and then he called the police and he wanted an investigation done and he went to Amnon and he locked him up, he put him in a prison. It doesn't say that he, he got uh, 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 Tamar and he, and he brought her in and he, and he consoled her and he loved on her and he brought her to a counselor and he tried to help her get some therapy and tried to help her get set up somewhere maybe where she could have a life after this incredible betrayal that she just experienced. No. David did not act like David, except for the fact that he got mad. But David was good at getting angry. He understood that emotion. But he doesn't act. Now you might think, why? Why in the world would a father allow this to happen in his family unchecked? Put yourself in that position. Dads, if this happened in your family, what would you do? I mean, the indignation that you would feel, right? The, the, the wanting to fix it, the wanting to step in and punish the wrong and, and help the person that was the victim. I mean, that's what you would do as a father, but David does nothing. And David does nothing because David had unresolved hurts himself. Just a few chapters earlier, David had an affair with a woman. She was married and he got her pregnant. And he wanted to cover it up, so he made it to where her husband was killed in a battle. And then she gets pregnant, and, as she, and then she has this baby, and they lose the child. Okay, so super devastating event in David's life. He has somebody murdered, which is awful. He commits adultery, which is bad, of course. And then he loses a baby. Now, if you've ever lost a child, you know how painful that can be. And David loses this child because of his own actions. So he had the guilt because of that. And of course, we know, as Scripture says, that Nathan eventually uh, approaches him a year later, and he ends up confessing his sins. He ends up saying he's sorry for what he's done. But Scripture says he never got any help. He never dealt with it. He never got help with his guilt. He never got help with processing all that he had been through and dealing with his own situations and really even being able to forgive himself for what he'd done. So this event happens, and he thinks to himself, and of course, I, this is what I have to believe from Scripture, how can I say anything to Amnon? I'm just as guilty as he is. How can I confront my son? How can I go and deal with this situation at all? I mean, I just murdered somebody. I lost a kid because of it. I committed adultery. I mean, I've done way worse than Amnon has done. So because of unresolved hurts, because of not dealing with that past pain, David is paralyzed in dealing with his family. Scripture says, and though Absalom never spoke to Amnon, about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Hated him. Verse 23 says, two years later, 
So two years have passed without anything being done when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Baal Hazor near Ephraim. Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to feast. Skip down to verse 28. Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk, then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who was given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Then the other sons of the kings jumped on their mules and they fled. Verse 37, Amnon then fled to his grandfather. He stayed there in Geshur for three years. And King David, now reconciled with Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. So for two years, Absalom is in the same house with his sister. He sees her hurting. He sees her being alone. He, seems, he sees her, as Scripture says, being desolate. And it breaks his heart. And that anger grows in him. That hatred grows in him. And David does nothing for two years. And so, Dave, so Absalom says, well, if he's not going to do anything, I'm going to do something. I'm going to handle him. I'm going to take care of this situation. I am going to avenge my sister. Now, Absalom nor David dealt with this situation right. Okay? Neither one of them. And five years goes by, and then all of a sudden, the Scripture says that, that David is okay now with Amnon's death, and he starts missing his other son. He just, he just doesn't want to lose another son. So he misses him, and he ends up calling him back so that they can have a conversation. But even then, he never deals with the issue. He, he brings Absalom back into his fold, but nothing's ever really dealt with. Now, things happen. So five years have passed. Absalom is still not feeling that things are being handled in the right way. So like many of us, he feels like he'd do a better job. He starts feeling like he would be doing a better job as a father. He starts feeling like he'd be a do, do a better job as a king. So what he does is he starts positioning himself at a place in the city where people come and go to be able to stand in front of the king and plead their case. And he stops them and he says, hey, what are you here for? Well, we're here to see King David. What about? Well, we got to tell him about this situ situation. We need, we need his help. Well, tell me about the situation. So they would tell him. And in every case, he would say, oh, well, the king probably won't be able to see you. And if he does, he probably won't rule in your favor. But if I was king, I would hear everything he said, and I would rule in your favor. And as he does this, he steals the hearts of the people. So everybody loved David, and then Absalom comes along. And through influence and lying and, and manipulating, he actually gets the people of Israel to want to start to follow him. There's a coup, he gets a group of people together, and they take over the kingdom. They kick David completely out of the palace. They take over Jerusalem. Absalom sleeps with all of David's wives. He, uh, uh, he takes the throne, and he kicks, his, he kicks his father out, out of leadership. Once again, you hear that story, and you go, why didn't David do something? Where did the David who slayed Goliath go? Where did the man who had, had, had defeated all these armies and set up the biggest kingdom, the best kingdom that Israel had ever seen, where was that guy? Why did he leave? Once again, because he never dealt with his issues. 
He never dealt with his hurt. He never felt like he could stand up to Absalom because of the guilt that he hadn't dealt with in his own mistakes. Now, don't you think that David's family could have benefited from a little therapy? <laughs> what a mess. What a mess, right? And this all could have been avoided with some communication, with some crucial conversations. If they would have just sat down with a counselor, if they would have just sat down with somebody that could walk through an unbiased viewpoint, that could help walk them through this storm. But they never do. And as a result, the kingdom is in absolute turmoil. Scripture says that, a few years or a few uh, a period of time goes by, and Absalom is actually killed in a battle against some of David's troops. So Absalom uh, and Amnon both die. David loses two sons through all this. Now, we look at this and we think, well, you know, that's a story in the Bible. But the truth is, is unresolved hurts affect all of us. They affect us in a lot of different ways, and most of us. Uh, most of us would say that maybe even today we're being affected by something in our life that we've never dealt with. Some of the things that happen as a result of that are manifestations of unresolved hurt, many of which we'll see from our text today, but some of which that just didn't happen, happen just hadn't happened to crop up yet. And there's five of them, and I guarantee you, if you're dealing with unresolved hurts, you're probably manifesting one of these points. And truthfully, the longer you hold on to the hurt, the more of these things you will manifest. The first thing that we see happen with people that are not dealing with their hurt in the proper way is they get super easily offended. They're easily offendable. When you are hurting, you tend to hurt more easily. And if you find yourself getting your feelings hurt often, it's a huge sign that you have unresolved hurts. You just get your feelings hurt. Maybe somebody's told you, you're so sensitive. That's not that big a deal. You shouldn't be acting that way. Don't react that way. It's not that big a deal. That could be a sign that you have unresolved hurts. A wounded person is so susceptible to being hurt again. But when we are carrying those wounds, the smallest little things can damage us. Things that might not have hurt us at all before the hurt that we're talking about, wouldn't, that wouldn't even have been on your radar. But since you've been hurt, oh, it's such a big deal. Like everything, every little thing, it seems like everything affects you differently. So easily offendable. The second thing, the second manifestation we can see from unresolved hurts is being unself-aware. Being unself-aware. Unresolved hurts will literally give you blind spots. They will make you not be able to see the issues in your own life. Now, we know the devil wants to hurt us. And he wants you to not get help from those hurts. Because you are, an easy, you are easier to manipulate and use when you are broken. Did you hear that? When you are broken, when you're down the most... That's when the devil can use you the most. And isn't it interesting that when we are hurting, the devil causes us to focus on everyone else's problems and not our own. We can walk around with huge issues but not see them at all. And the poster scripture for blind spots is in Luke chapter 6, verse 42. And you've heard this scripture, you probably heard this scripture a hundred times. 
But when you look at it from this standpoint, you see that it's unresolved hurts. How can, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, Luke 6 says, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will uh, see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The scripture describes what a blind spot is. We get so focused on everybody else so we don't have to deal with our own issues that we can't see our own issues anymore. We have to fix us first. We have to fix us. We, we have to deal with our own issues first. And that's what the scriptures points out. So maybe you're unself-aware. Or third, usually it will lead to somebody not being able to take correction. You're just unable to take correction. Now, the devil is the expert on pride. And you think about this, he gave up everything because of his ego. He was an archangel. He was right, right under God in heaven. He was, he was over all of the worship and all the music in heaven, yet he gave it all away for his pride. He thought he could be just as much as God. He thought he could be just as good as God. He thought he could be just as powerful as God. Because of his ego, it cost him everything. Now, hurt makes you want to self-protect. Kind of a natural response to hurt. You want to self-protect. And you tend to go into survival mode when you're hurting. And when you, we do that, we aren't relying on God anymore. And we become reliant on self, which leads to pride. Absalom was so angry and prideful that he wasn't willing to listen to anyone that wasn't telling him what he wanted to hear. Yeah, we got to be careful with that. I mean, that's why we have small groups. That's why we have accountability groups. So people can see our blind spots. And when they see them and talk to us about those blind spots, we hear them. We don't just say, oh, I, don't know, I don't think that's an issue. I don't know what you're talking about. Let's talk about your problems. That's when we get defensive. That's our defense mechanism, right? That's what we do. But the truth is, guys, man, it, if we have somebody in our life that is really willing to tell us the hard truth. We need to thank them because that's a hard thing to do. I mean, relationships are hard enough to make as it is. And, and we make those relationships, we kind of want to protect them. So in protecting those relationships, sometimes we don't tell people the hard truth because we don't want to lose the relationship. But if they have unresolved hurts, the truth is you're going to end up losing that relationship at some point anyway because something's going to come up that's going to fracture the relationship they have with you. We have to be honest with each other and we have to be willing to listen to each other. I love this quote. It says, but the sting of the truth is what will bring about change. The sting of the truth, that's what brings about change. Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Or maybe this next manifestation is something you're seeing in your life. Unresolved hurts tend to bring out dangerous emotions. Anger, frustration, fear, jealousy, gossip, aggression. And these are all the things that came out of Absalom. Right? Over those two years, over those five years, all of these emotions, these dangerous emotions start to come out. It's interesting because a lot of you, for you, a lot of you, you're, you're taking a, a course right now. You're in a life group and you're doing emotionally he healthy spirituality, which is a great course 
super, super course that can bring about great healing. And I think it's like the second or third session, so you guys may have seen this. The, the author of the book gives this, um, gives this illustration. He, he, he puts this uh, up on the board as he's talking, and he's saying, if we're broken, these are the things that we're feeling. These are the manifestations in our life. We're defensive. Like we don't want to listen to people. And usually defensiveness is wrapped around pride. We're low self-aware. We, we have blind spots. Isolation. We isolate ourselves. We don't want to be around anybody. We're angry. We, we tend to want to blame others. We struggle with fear. Fear about the future. Fear about uh, friendships. We, we become self-absorbed. Right? It's all about us. A lot of times it can lead to addiction or just being dishonest. But he says, as you move towards wholeness, as you get healing, as you deal with those hurts, then all of a sudden you become approachable. All of a sudden you start being like, wow, I'm super self-aware. I, I get it. I see when I'm making a mistake or I'm going down the wrong road. They take responsibility. They're non-reactive, which means that they're not, you know, just defensive all the time. They delight. They have courage. They're offering of self it means that they're willing to serve others. It's not all about them anymore. They, they have freedom, and, and they're honest. And none of us want to stay on that broken side. There's going to be things that are going to happen that are going to cause us to be broken. But if we deal with those things soon, those negative manifestations will not hit us. Instead, we will bear that beautiful fruit under being whole. So it brings out deadly emotions or dangerous emotions. We see that in Absalom. We see that, you know, even in, in David's life. But it also, if we're not careful, it'll cause you to want to control. When we are hurting, we tend to think if we can control situations and people, we won't be hurt again. Absalom waits around. Nothing happens. He decides, I'm going to take control. I'm going to do it. And when he does that, he takes the situation out of God's hands and he tries to deal with it himself and he loses everything. On a daily basis, we need to relinquish control to our Heavenly Father, everything in our life that we tend to hold the tightest. And I, I'm talking like literally doing this where you're, you're, you're expressing what you're doing with your hands and you get up on a daily basis and you say, Lord, I relinquish control of my kids. I can't fix them. I can't, I can't even deal with them right now, Lord. You got to deal with them. So, so I relinquish control of my kids. I relinquish control of my finances. I relinquish control of my marriage. I relinquish control of my friendships. I relinquish control of my boss or my, my job. God, I can't deal with it. You got to handle it. We had a counselor on a staff uh, for many years, and, and we lost her a few years ago, but her name was Jill Buck. And one of the things that she was the best at was helping people be able to let go of things that they were trying to control. And she had this thing she would do. She would, she would teach those that were, were uh, uh, counseling with her. She would just say, this is what you got to do. Give it to God. And she usually would say, whatever. <laughs> and that's great advice. Right? And sometimes you have to do that on a daily basis. But what happens because of unresolved hurts is we just want to mm, hug it, control it, try to fix it ourselves. But when we relinquish control, we relinquish control to our protector, our defender, our healer, our vindicator. And we need to get in very good practice of doing that on a daily basis. So what do we do if we're hurting? You could be hurting this morning, or maybe you don't know you're hurting. 
because it's a blind spot. So what do we do? Well, first of all, you just get help. You go to a counselor. You, ladies, we have this beautiful ministry called The Bridge that will help you with, with a group of mentors, help you walk through the storms of your life. And it's a beautiful ministry. Maybe you go back through deliverance again. I mean, I think that it's a great idea to go through deliverance every five or six years, especially if something big has happened in your life, something super, super stressful, super, super hurtful. Sometimes we just pick up old offenses and we just need to be, go through deliverance again. And deliverance is probably one of the best ways to expose blind spots because you have this group of people around you that can help you see what's really going on in your life. And here's the thing, ask, ask the Lord to show you any hurts that you might have, any blind spots that you might have. And let him do that for you. Sometimes it's good just to do that on a daily basis. And then secondly, forgive. Forgive. Now, I know that forgiveness is like one of our points, one of our to-do points in almost every message we do. And the reason is, is because it's the most freeing, liberating, beautiful, cleansing thing that you can do. Now, Rebecca and I are studying some resources by a Christian therapist right now, and, and he suggests some, some really good things. And one of the things I think people struggle with, and he says, is that you can't forgive because you're still mad. You can't forgive because you're still angry. You're still ticked. And that's, that's okay. That, that, that's just, that happens. But you can't hold on to that anger forever. So what he says is he says, write a letter to the person that has made you angry and let them have it. You'll never send it, but let them have it. Tell them how they made you feel. Do whatever you need to do to get that anger out. And maybe you're not a writer. Maybe you're not a, you know, you don't process things that way. Maybe you're more of an audible person. So, so th there's an open chair method where you set an open chair in front of you and you picture the person that has hurt you, that you're mad at, and you let them have it. You chew them out. You, you get mad. And then the therapist says, once you write that letter, you get it and you go set it on a bed and you go get a tennis racket or a baseball bat and you just beat the heck out of it. Just get it all out. Now you might think, oh, that's, kind of, that's silly. Let me tell you, it works. So like every family, we have family members that are the family members that have caused hurt within our our core group. And so for, for me and my family, my sister has struggled and gone through drug addiction and done things to my parents and to her kids and to all of us for the last 45, 50 years. And we've tried everything. Counseling, family therapy, deliverance, uh, you know, accountability groups. I mean, we have tried everything to help her. And the truth is, is that she didn't want to be helped. And that's really hard for us. That's really hard as a family member, right? If you have a family member that's doing that, that's running down the wrong road and you try to help and you try to control and you try to fix and nothing works. And so for us as a family, we just had to set up new boundaries. It's just like, okay, if you're gonna live in that world, if you're gonna do drugs, if you're gonna be that destructive and you're gonna treat us the way you're treating us, we can't be around you anymore. And that's super hard to do. But right at the end of our relationship, when we were all about at that point, I absolutely lost it on her. I lost it on her. And it wasn't appropriate, it wasn't nice, and it was super ugly, and I ripped her up one side and down the other, walked inside, and then thought of a few more things and walked out and let her have it again. And I'm not proud of that. It was not good. 
And that night, I realized that I had some major unresolved hurts and huge anger issues with her. And so I remember going out, and I had this little workout room, and I had one of those big punching dummies, you know, that has no arms where they can't fight back. And uh, I went to town on that thing. I just beat the heck out of it. And I let every bit of anger out, and I told her what I felt and told her how she had hurt my parents and how she'd hurt us so many times through the years and how sick and tired I was of it. And I would have never wanted anybody to see what happened in that room. But God saw and when I did that, he lifted anger off of me in such an incredible way to where I was finally able to forgive. But I couldn't forgive until the anger was gone. So once you've done that, once you've beat up that letter, once you've punched that dummy, whatever you need to do, if you need to put a little face on the dummy, you can do that, whatever you need to do, then you write the letter of forgiveness then you choose to forgive them for whatever it is they've hurt you for. And it may not be a person. It might be an illness. Maybe you need to let cancer have it. Maybe it's something that's just happened, a circumstance in your life, and it, you're mad. You can beat that up, but you won't be able to forgive until you do. So in the same sense, you write a letter. You'll never send it. And you say, I choose to forgive you for this. I choose to forgive you for this. I choose to forgive you for this. And be super, super specific. The more specific you are, the more freeing it will be. And then you just burn that letter after it's done. But here's the thing. You might say, I don't have forgiveness issues with people. Well, still ask the Lord because he may remind you of someone. But how are you unforgiving yourself? How much anger are you holding for yourself? Are you still mad at yourself for some decision you made 20 years ago? Are you still beating yourself up for something that you did, you know, when you were a kid or, or whatever? Are you still mad at yourself? Do you say things like, I knew better. I knew I shouldn't have done that. I, 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 I knew I shouldn't have gone down that road. I, I, if I just wouldn't have done that. Let yourself be angry at you. But then forgive you. Now I say those two steps and I know that a lot of you aren't going to do it. You're not going to take the time to get alone and allow yourself to really get angry or allow yourself to really forgive. But I implore you to do it. I implore you to do it for yourself. I implore you to do it for your family. I implore you to do it for your coworkers. God came, Jesus came that you might have freedom from all of that. Look at David's family, look at their life and see what unresolved hurts did in them and learn from that, right? Learn from that. So Lord, we just give you this stuff we ask right now that you would help us to make an appointment with you to get the anger out and to deal with the forgiveness. Help us, Lord God, that, that we would understand that man, we don't want these things happening in our life. We don't want these manifestations. We don't, we don't want to be easily offendable. We don't want to be that guy that gets his feelings hurt all the time. We don't want to be unself-aware and walk around with blind spots all the time. We don't want to be unable to take correction. We bind the spirit of pride in our lives right now. 
help us with any dangerous emotions that we picked up and help us to relinquish control. In fact, right now, we just want to do that. We want to relinquish control of our hurt to you. Give it all to you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Make sure you don't miss next week. Blind spots, disappointment, dealing with discouragement and disappointment. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you have just prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text heaven to 94,000 to get in contact with one of our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you need prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer request by texting prayer support to 94,000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this is your first time experiencing Fellowship Church or you wanna learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text fellowship to 94,000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.